What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball, part of the Just Baseball Network. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we're talking about a lot of call-ups, call-ups that have already happened, and then call-ups I'm hoping to see in September as we are reaching that roster expansion point of the season. But of course, I want to talk about Corbin Carroll and what a debut he had last night, as well as the surprising promotion of Garrett Mitchell and why, you know, it might make a little bit of sense. Uh, I don't hate the move. It just was surprising, but I'm going to talk about what I think the Brewers might have been seeing from their lens and kind of break down what's been working for Mitchell over the last couple months because he really hit his stride in AAA and has looked comfortable at the big league level. Very excited to talk about September call-ups as well and, and a lot of players that I'm hoping to see get the bump and get an opportunity to show what they can do through the final month of the season, especially for some of the teams that are out of contention, but there are some prospects who could make an impact for contenders or for teams that are trying to win now, and some that, you know, I was hoping could have made that impact and may be looking more like a 2023 call-up. I'll highlight some of those guys as well. Let's start with the headliner here, and that's Corbin Carroll, because Corbin Carroll, I'll be honest, he's going to be one of our top, top, top prospects in our update that's coming out next week for our top 100 list. And regardless of his performance, he could be hitting 500 through his first however many games at the time that we dropped this top prospect list, or he could be one for 20 and he is still going to be ranked. I don't want to give anything away, but he will be ranked in the top five comfortably. And the thing with Corbin Carroll is there's just so many ways that he can impact the baseball game. And I think we saw that 
just really front and center in his big league debut yesterday because it really wasn't, as a whole, a great game for him. I'll I'll eliminate the error or the mistake that he made in the outfield. It seemed like he just misjudged a line drive or a hard-hit ball at him, and it got by him. And I'm not expecting that to be an issue. He's mostly been used to getting reads in center, and a lot of guys that play center are much more comfortable sticking in center. It's actually a little bit weirder for them with the reads off of the bat in either corner, and I think that's exactly what it was for Carroll. But when I was kind of leading into the ways that he can impact the game, of course, defensively is one of them, but I'm more so talking about his offensive stat line yesterday and how, you know, if you look at it on the surface, he was one for five with a double. Okay, big deal. And that's the crazy thing is it was not his best game, yet he still played a huge part in what was a big offensive output and one of the biggest comebacks, or if not the biggest comeback in Diamondbacks history uh, yesterday on just an offensive onslaught against the Phillies. Even in his one for five, he drove in two runs. He also scored two runs. Uh, So obviously, again, playing a big part in what his offense did yesterday. But what was amazing to me is he rolls over on a ground ball and his 70 grade speed really shined out. And uh, the speed alone was enough to, to cause the infielder to bobble it. They try to make the throw to first and he beats it. It was ruled an error and it probably was an error. You could probably justify the hit because he did hit it pretty hard and he is really fast. But if it was fielded cleanly, Carroll's probably out. The point is, though, is that you have a guy here that is just putting that kind of pressure on the infield even when he doesn't hit the ball well. And Carroll seems like that's his profile, right? Slap the ball all over the field, use your speed, and every once in a while, he's going to run into one. Uh, But the thing is, is he really can run into baseballs. And I know that he was playing in a hitter-friendly environment out there, AAA West Coast, PCL. I get it. But you look at all of the batted ball data, and he is very much a legit above average to almost plus power guy. It's not part of his game to really always be taking the big hack and trying to lift and do crazy damage to his pull side or hit those tape measure shots. But he has this season, again, in an environment where the ball really flies. But at the same time, he's still hitting some of the furthest home runs we've seen in that league, including a 481-foot home run back in June. And if you look at the 90th percentile exit velo for Corbin Carroll, it's over 106 miles per hour, which is well, well, well above average. To put it in perspective here, Noel V. Martin is at about 103 miles per hour, and Marco Luciano is at 106.8, so just a decimal point higher than Corbin Carroll is Marco Luciano, who earns easy plus power grades or plus plus future power grades. Carroll doesn't look like your typical plus power guy, and that plays a part into it, and also, you know, we haven't had much more than this full season to really see him put the power on display, but I think the 24 home runs that we've seen this season and also the ability to go from foul pole to foul pole, that's a big tell when you're trying to gauge a guy's power. Of course, you have the data and you also can just see how the ball carries, but even more so, watching the way that he can leave to dead center, but also go the other way with authority. He's hit several home runs over 400 feet the opposite way is as far as 421 feet. I think a homer off of Zach Logue went opposite field 
421 feet, 105 miles per hour off the bat. Like those are things that plus power guys do. So I, I think he's closer to plus power than a lot of people would really expect. And again, still has the ability to spray the ball all over the field, chop one into the ground and steal a hit that way. So the amount of ways that he can beat you offensively. And again, he's also somebody that just you look at the double that he hit the other day or yesterday shot the ball the other way through the gap into left field. He can do that really well, especially with two strikes. But when he gets his hitters counts, he will take those hacks that I was talking about where it's not always a sellout for power. When he wants to get those big swings in, he'll get those in. And when he has those leverage counts, he hasn't missed those fastballs. He hasn't missed those hanging breaking balls. And that is where you really see the raw bat speed and just... It's amazing that a guy that is five foot nine, 170 pounds can generate the kind of exit velos that he has. He's popped already exit velos over 110 miles an hour on several occasions. Again, another example why his power is probably plus, but it just seems almost hard for us to fathom that a guy with his frame could really be capable of plus raw power. But he has hit, I think, almost four or five batted balls over 110 miles an hour this year, including a couple home runs. So uh, it's hard to really argue against Corbin Carroll having plus power. You talk about now the ability to play all three outfield spots, to play a good center field, uh, to run really, really well, and doesn't strike out a lot. I would say the strikeouts were a little bit higher than most may have expected, again, given the profile, but also the power is way more impactful than a lot of people would have expected. And he offsets the 24% K rate, which is far from egregious, with a 14.5% walk rate, which is very important because, again, this is someone that's very fast and is getting on base at a very, very high clip. I believe he was a 422 on base percentage there. So, I mean, this guy is as exciting as it gets. Five tools. One of my favorite prospects, if you couldn't tell, because I've just opened up 10 minutes here of the podcast talking about him. But I really do believe Carroll could be a superstar in every facet of the game and just continues to get better. You talk about also just the in at bat adjustments that he's able to make. Rarely takes the same bad swing twice. Rarely chases puts himself in spots to succeed, and you can tell just learns from almost every at-bat. Carroll's built to make a smooth transition to the big leagues and also to just be one of the most exciting young players in baseball. The future is bright in Arizona. Jordan Lawler has continued to look fantastic. Alec Thomas has had a great all-around rookie season. I like a lot of the, the pitchers that are starting to make waves through that system, including Brandon Fott. I loved the Landon Sims pick by them uh, in, in this past draft. Blake Walston has looked good. Ryan Nelson has had a bit of an up and down season, but has shown really good signs uh, as of late. Same with Dre Jameson. And I liked the Ivan Melendez pick as well. And then, of course, you have Drew Jones also in the fold here, who is one heck of a ball player as well and has five tool potential as uh, an elite defensive center fielder and then guys like Dominic Fletcher, AJ Vukovic, Blaze Alexander all playing really well this year. There's a lot to be excited about with the Arizona Diamondbacks organization right now. Uh, Another farm system that is vastly improved from one of baseball's worst to now looking much more respectable in a middle of the pack 
system, but with a bunch of potential impact big leaguers in the next year or so, and we're seeing one guy start to make an impact already, it's Garrett Mitchell and the Milwaukee Brewers. And I'll talk about the Brewers system in a second. I'll start with Mitchell because it was a surprising promotion for Garrett Mitchell. But the guy is so talented and has really just shown signs of life beyond life. He's shown signs of looking fantastic over the last month or so and enough for the Brewers to say, hey, let's not delay this thing anymore. Let's see what you can do. And Gary Mitchell was one of the highest floor bats in the 2020 draft, and that's where the Brewers took him 20th overall out of UCLA. And there were some questions about Mitchell and some of the injuries that he had had and also uh, had some health concerns. But Mitchell, you know, just looking at the start to his professional career, it was really good. He tore up high A right out of the gate. I mean, it was crazy what he did through 29 games in 2021. Then he gets the bump up to double A and really hit a wall. And so we saw him kind of get an opportunity to run it back in double A this year. And after a bit of a slow start, got going and put up some solid numbers. A 107 WRC plus 28% K rate, 9% walk rate. That's nothing that you're going to get super amped about in 44 games, only hit four homers. But you know what? Okay, it's respectable. This guy's still a good prospect that has, you know, speed, can play all three outfield spots, lefty bat. There's something to follow here. They promote him to triple A, which I thought was a little aggressive, but they did it with all of their double A guys, basically. We saw Sal Freelich, Joey Weimer, they all go, go up to triple A. And in triple A, something just clicked for Garrett Mitchell. After hitting 277, 353, 428 in 44 games in double A, 20 games in triple A, he hits 342, 435, 466. It's a 148 WRC plus. And also his strikeout rate drops by more than 6%. Walk rate jumps by more than 3%. He does only hit one home run, but he swipes nine bags. So what's interesting with Mitchell is this. He obviously had something click with his approach and his swing in AAA. The chase rates basically went down to almost non-existent territory. His chase rates were never high. He was always a very patient hitter, but he cut it down to, I mean, what is some of the best marks you're going to see in the entire Brewer system when he was in AAA. The biggest note, I think, is the in-zone whiff, or really is just the converse of zone contact, right? Zone contact is 100% subtracted by the end zone whiff. So sometimes I'll give you zone contacts. Sometimes I'll give you end zone whiff. It's basically the same thing. For example, if a guy has a 14% end zone whiff rate, he has an 86% zone contact rate. Uh, But for just making it clear to talk about just the uh, cut down in chase, cut down in whiff to kind of keep it in the same realm here, he cut down the end zone whiff significantly. It was around 20% uh, in, in high A, at times even higher, up to 23% in zone whiff. Then he gets up to AAA, and it was just a different story. He cuts that down to 13.5%. So as a result, I start looking at the swing and start looking at you know what he may have adjusted. Remember, this is a pretty big dude at 6'3", 215. With big power, he just had not found a way to consistently tap into it. The ground ball rates were always a little bit higher than you'd like to see, and a little bit is being uh, kind. Uh, it, they're way too high, and uh, that's really been the big issue for him. You know, last year, even when he was putting up numbers in high A, 64% ground ball rate at that level. Then he gets up to double A, 60% ground ball rate. This past season in double A, 60% ground ball rate. And then even in triple, where he was having success, 
57% ground ball rate. Probably not a coincidence that it was the lowest ground ball rate that we've seen from him and some of the best success, driving the ball in the air more, staying behind the baseball. He's a guy that has had a bit of an inconsistent lower half, so common with bigger dudes. I was just talking about this with my good friend Mike Rothenberg in the Tigers organization who was struggling in the early parts of this year, switch hitting catcher, six foot three, and he just really made those adjustments that we talked about with Alec Burleson on the podcast, which was just simplify things. You're big. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of extra length and body parts, basically, that you have to control as a larger bodied hitter. So simplify it, right? Limit your moves. Start with your weight kind of already pre-stacked against the backside. That's one of the things I always emphasize because so many big bodied hitters have talked about how that's been a big you know, kind of clicking point for them. It's exactly what's happened with Rothenberg, and he's been tearing it up uh, over the last month. And I looked at Garrett Mitchell to see if there was any kind of tangible adjustment there. You could see him being more patient and looking for pitches more elevated, not trying to just swing at fastballs at the knees because that also helps you shut down those changeups that drop below the knees and breaking balls. So he was looking for pitches he could lift more. But I also saw a Garrett Mitchell that was more focused in staying back, staying behind the baseball and staying in his back hip. A little bit more athletic with the stance, a little bit more of that weight transfer and staying back because he's a big uh, start open kind of load back, close off, and then, you know, kind of just launch forward a little bit. And that can cause the weight to come forward a little bit too early, and that results in a lot of rollover. And we're seeing Garrett Mitchell kind of figure out how to control his body and and figure out how to just make things a little bit easier on himself with his pre-swing moves. And as a result, Mitchell has seen big-time success in triple, and then through his first three games in the big leagues, has not really missed a beat. I mean, he already hit his first home run. That was really exciting and has put together a lot of really good at-bats. So I like what we've seen from Mitchell, and I think there's a lot to believe in here. This is a first-round pedigree type of guy, still not even 24 years old yet. He's going to turn 24 in about a week here. But what I'm most fascinated with in Garrett Mitchell's game is the fact that there's a lot more power that's untapped here. We talk about the lack of home runs really has not hit double digit home runs yet in either of his professional seasons, but the the exit velos have been there. I mean, I've, I've seen Garrett Mitchell hit some big time bombs and one of them was recent. Even I saw one in person uh, back in double a where you see the ball fly 440, 450 feet. And you're like, Whoa, Garrett Mitchell has that in there. Where has that been? It doesn't seem like that swing is always coming out. Uh, and then we just saw it again in, in, with his big league home run. The home run he just hit off of Will Crow. It's 110 miles an hour off the bat. 22-degree launch angle goes 414 feet. Like That is plus power. But he doesn't get into it very often because he loses that lower half and doesn't always tap into it and ends up rolling over or kind of slapping the ball a little bit less with less impact. And so this is what's really exciting about Garrett Mitchell is if you go back and, you know, listen to the interview, even with Casey Schmidt uh, of the Giants organization, I asked him, you know, you have the big power uptick this year. He had 17, I think now 18 home runs between high A and double A after not hitting as many last year. You know, what has kind of clicked for you? And he said, all of the Giants hitting coaches have told me you got to hit first and then the power comes. And I think that's something that we've all heard before. 
that doesn't always ring true for everybody. There's just some things that, uh, you know, are out of your control as a power guy. And that's just not always what's going to happen for you. But Mitchell would probably never identify as a power guy. And I don't think Casey Schmidt would either. There are hitters who have the potential for power. So now we're seeing, and it's ironic because his teammate Christian Yelich was very similar. Now we're seeing a Garrett Mitchell that's starting to iron out the lower half, that's starting to, you know, do all of the things to tap into more power consistently. And there's 20 to 25 to even if it all clicked at the 100th percentile outcome as many as 30 home runs here especially in Milwaukee for Garrett Mitchell I don't think he's going to turn into that kind of hitter I think it's more safe to say 275 average 20 home runs and a pretty good on base percentage as he continues to to learn to walk more is something that we can dream on here with Mitchell but he's got to cut down the ground ball rate it's still way too high and again that's kind of going to go hand in hand with the added power that we're going to, I think, slowly continue to see him tap into more. It's underrated how well he runs too. Easy plus runner who is still learning how to, how to swipe bags more consistently and he really clicked for him. I think in AAA there too, nine for nine in those 20 games. He was seven for eight in 44 games in AA. The speed definitely translates. And I think that was part of the reason why the Brewers were willing to be aggressive with the promotion here with Mitchell is that you have someone that, can play center field at a high level. And I know Asturi Ruiz was probably in the conversation as well as somebody that maybe doesn't play as good of a defensive center field. So that's important. And then also just the recently acquired Asturi Ruiz has been good since the trade. He's been all right in AAA, but I I think there's a little bit less polish there as a breakout prospect this season. Uh, Whereas Mitchell has a little bit more of the consistency at the plate, a left-handed bat as well. Uh, Just seems like he could translate a bit better with a a more advanced approach and better bat-to-ball skills overall. And with the better defensive ability on top of that, the Brewers opted to go with Mitchell and trust that he can make the leap. And I I like the move for a team that really needed the offensive boost. It was aggressive. It was surprising, especially to to do this with Mitchell over a Sal Freelich. But Mitchell, a 2020 draftee, a little bit older, a little bit more, I think, just polished to his game as Freelich continues to really mash and triple. But even if you go back to our interview with Freelich, he was talking about how many of the little things he's still ironing out with his game as a guy that played all three sports through high school, really started to focus on baseball and college. But it wasn't really until that last year of college where he realized he could be a, a first round guy and still is learning all the little nuances of the game. It seemed like Mitchell was the more polished all-around prospect at this point, and they felt like he could make that impact. Really exciting. Congratulations to Garrett Mitchell and his family. I know his dad uh, had a really cool spot talking about how he was just choking back tears to, to see that home run from Garrett Mitchell. One of the best things about the sport is is seeing the family reactions, and I think he could play a good part in what the Brewers are trying to do to make a push here. They need offense, and he can give them some of that with good speed and good defense in center. Uh, very excited to see what Mitchell continues to do for the Brewers. Really quickly, just shouting out what has been one of baseball's most improved systems across the board this year. Uh, I think there's a few different things that kind of play into that. One has been the emergence of Jackson Chorio, who has become a consensus top 20 prospect. Uh, the 18-year-old outfielder has just been insane now in high A as well. And, you know, anytime you take a guy that was not a top 100 prospect prior to the season and now is consensus top 20 prospects from all of the things that he has shown, both defensively, offensively, tools-wise, youth, everything's off the charts, really exciting, that's going to boost your system. Sal Freelich making the leap after a bit of a slow start. That helps. Joey Weimer, 
He struggled, but now is really getting hot. He's just turned himself into a top 100 and just solid prospect anyways. That has been part of what's been the positive trend in the system. Garrett Mitchell playing a big part in that. Bryce Turang, a guy that I've never really loved, but he looks like a big league piece. Just just plain and simple, he looks like a big league piece. Not a very exciting one, but a valuable player nonetheless. In AAA, at 22 years old right now, he's hitting 289, 358, 419 while playing some good defense at short, can play all over. He's got kind of the profile of a super utility guy, can run. He's got 28 bags. He's even hit 12 home runs now, so he's tapping into more power than he ever has. Turing looks like a legitimate prospect. They add a story Ruiz in that trade. Also with Robert Gasser, they add him as well in that Josh Hader trade. Hader's been a disaster in San Diego. We have a piece on JustBaseball.com right now kind of talking about that. But I love Gasser as a left-handed pitching prospect. I think he's a great piece. And then, of course, Ruiz has been one of the most impressive prospects in baseball this year. And then recent draft picks, they've just been awesome. I talked about hitting big on Freelich, Weimer, and Turing, another draft pick of theirs. But how about Tyler Black? Great pick by them. Really like the bat there with Black. Eric Brown Jr. is off to a great start. Uh, their first round pick this past year as well. They've been doing a really good job uh, drafting over the last few years, and there's a lot to like with what they're doing and what they're building here in Milwaukee. Definitely something to keep an eye on as they are taking a system that was really not great and all of a sudden making it pretty good. And this is a testament to the fact that you don't need to trade a ton of pieces. You can trade one or two pieces like they did with Hader, but you can just draft well. Crazy concept. Draft well. I know it's hard. Amateur scouting is very hard, but you can draft well, especially using college pieces. I think people need to be more open to drafting college bats because there are so many really good college bats, but we always dream on the upside instead. So guys like Sal Freelick fall, guys like Garrett Mitchell fall to 20, Freelick fell to 15, Weimer, I mean, that was more of a, a, a impressive find. He was a fourth rounder. These are all college bats. So it's pretty fascinating in that regard. Even Tyler Black, 33rd overall pick, college bat overlooked. So there is a really interesting uh, ability, I think, for certain teams here to handpick those college guys that I think are a lot easier to scout than high schoolers and and hit on them. And so far, the Brewers have done that and kind of ridden that to turning around their farm system. And then, of course, if you hit on your lottery tickets like Jackson Churio and even Jefferson Cuero, who's been good catching prospect as well, that's always going to help put your system over the top. For the final segment here, I'm going to talk about those September call-ups that could potentially put some teams over the top or just make some other teams more watchable uh, and highlight just some of the names I'm hoping to see promoted in September and, and who I think are the most likely to be promoted in the next week as we hit to the roster expansion time of the season. I'm also going to highlight uh, which of those players I think are some good purchases on eBay as well uh, for their Bowman Chrome autos. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite prospects in all of baseball. He's been one of my favorite prospects for a long time now. And after a slow start and injury riddled start, I think Tristan Casas can help make the Red Sox much more enjoyable to watch because the Red Sox have been a disappointment this season. They are not enjoyable to watch uh, and they just have a lot of dead pieces right now and guys that I just don't really think are part of the long-term future and don't make sense really getting ABs right now as their season is pretty much done. That being Eric Hosmer being one of the pieces that probably doesn't need to get a ton of ABs. How about giving those ABs to somebody like Tristan Casas? Your future at the position and I think your future besides Rafael Devers who you 
have to lock up if you're the Red Sox, is another cornerstone piece here, Casas is, that can mash in the middle of your lineup for the next decade plus. Casas is just one of the, I think, safest hitting prospects on top of just offering still just so much upside. I see so much Freddie Freeman in this kid. I can't emphasize that enough. And he's probably more physically imposing than Freeman as well. I mean, he is probably more physically imposing. It's 6'4", 250 pounds. And don't mistake that for heavyweight. He is just strong and big. And he hits the ball really freaking hard. Injuries slowed him a bit at the beginning of the season and really kind of just didn't allow him to, to get going. And now all of a sudden, we're really seeing this kid get rolling. Still really young. And I don't think people realize that Tristan Casas is still just 22 years old and putting up great numbers in AAA. Since he's been healthy and really consistently in the lineup, he has been just spectacular. Since returning from injury, I believe it was on July 12th. I'm going to skip that actually. I'm going to go straight to when he returned from injury in AAA because it had some complex games mixed in there as well. Since returning from injury and making that AAA return on July 22nd. Casas, 294, 410, 504 slash line, a 142 WRC plus, 21% K rate, 16% walk rate. He is a patient hitter. He is a powerful hitter, and he does not miss mistakes. He can go yard, foul pole to foul pole on steroids. Like I said it about Carroll, on top of that, even more impactful than that. Casas has already hit home runs this year as far as 480 feet. Uh, he, he has put up exit velos that are ridiculous. 90th percentile exit velo, just a hair under 108 miles per hour. He hits lefties well. He destroys righties. He's patient. He is a good defensive first baseman despite being a large, large human. This kid's going to take one-handed swings that are going to pepper the wall off the monster and just be easy doubles or long singles. He's not the fleetest of foot. Uh, And then he's also going to be able to go pull side or dead center and crush balls that make any stadium look small. So I think he's going to get a lot of those cheaper hits the other way because he is so good at going the other way. And then the pull side power is immense as well. He is one of my favorite, you know, spread him out with two strikes, talking about what what Burleson does and a lot of the ECU guys do, East Carolina. uh, That's a big hitting philosophy over there. Uh, That's something that has always been part of Casas' game. He has a bigger hack earlier in the count, two strikes, spreads out, really doesn't even lift his foot up because he's a monster and has 70-grade raw power and just kind of lets his hands work and just lets the swing work, and that's enough to produce big-time exit velos and enough power, even without much of a stride. Casas is the future at first base, will be one of the best first basemen in baseball. I've said it many times, if he doesn't pan out, anybody who listens to this podcast is welcome to walk up to me if you ever run into me in public and slap me in the face. Uh, That's how confident I am in this kid, and I do cite uh, that every prospect has risks, but uh, that is just how much I like Casas. Also on the mental side, I've seen him go through his progressions in the cage. I've seen him you know, talk about hitting, and there's just so much there where you just see a really impressive kid that has the natural skill and the mental ability. Talking about the, the eBay prices for his card too, they're undervalued still. I would scoop up Tristan Casas cards while you can. I'm looking at Bowman Chrome Autos ungraded going for 90 to 100 hours on eBay, which is a steal. Um, I will admit I do own plenty of his. I'm not trying to drive the market up because I'm not interested in selling anytime soon. I'm probably going to buy more. Uh, but just 
for the eBay segment here. I'd be lying to you if I said uh, that I don't think Tristan Casas is a good purchase. I think he's a phenomenal purchase. And at 90 to to $100 for a guy that could be, you know, should be the first baseman of the future for one of the biggest markets. And, you know, I know they're not great this year, but one of the best teams and franchises in baseball. Uh, yeah, sign me up for a $90 Bowman Chrome Auto of that guy. A lot of time spent on Casas, so I'm going to try to bounce around to some other prospects around the game. Yankees, they should call up Oswald Peraza. Uh, I think that's the obvious uh, promotion here. Isaiah Kiner Falefa. That's someone that, you know, obviously Yankees fans are frustrated with. I think they're a little bit too harsh on him. I think he's better than people give him credit for. But Peraza is just a little bit more capable, more power. Still a really, really good glove at short. Probably a bit faster. Uh, Just has more going on with his game. And I think could be an interesting, a little spark plug as rosters expand. If he struggles you send him back down. But I think now would be the time to, to kind of test things out and see how he looks because he could be a nice piece for the Yankees. Staying in the division, another player who has been up and down. So it's not as much of your traditional September call up, but I would just like to see him. You know, I don't, think there's much more he needs to prove in AAA, and, and I want to see you know, how he can continue to adjust at the big league level. It's Josh Lowe from the Tampa Bay Rays, and Lowe got a chance early in the year. He's a guy that I've really talked about as someone that I, I really am high on, and was I was disappointed with his struggles in the early going of the, the big league season. There's some swing and miss in his game. Uh, that's always been a part of it, but he has cut that down. He's walked more, and the power has continued to shine, and that's why I've liked him as a speedy center fielder who brings a lot to the table. Still just 24 years old. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned that he could be a quadruple-A guy. I, I think there's just that that learning curve right now where he's figured out what works at AAA and is still trying to get accustomed to what works at the big league level. It's a, it's a little bit tougher up there, but he is kind of leveled up even against AAA competition where we're just seeing a, a more impressive hitter. You'll get the last 40 games in AAA for low, which he's had a couple promotions in tight spots to the big leagues and then sent back down to kind of disrupt this momentum. But he has just continued to hit every time he goes back down to Durham last 40 games. 318, 405, 520 slash line, 25% K rate, a 146 WRC plus. I mean, that's as good as he has been really at, at any stop. On top of that, nine for nine on stolen bases, six home runs, just doing everything that you want to see from him. And the strikeouts have continued to dwindle as the season's gone on. He actually had a few strong games uh, at the big league level before getting sent down, which is the interesting part because in July, he was on a seven-game hit streak at the big league level with a pair of multi-hit games before getting sent back down to AAA, where he just continued to do the same thing there. So I think if we see Josh Lowe get a crack at the big league level this time around, I think he's going to be pretty successful. I don't know if he's going to light the world on fire right away, but he's going to be a hell of a lot better than he was before, and I think he's going to be a guy that is is much more comfortable and able to help his team win and help contribute to the race here down the stretch with all of the different ways that he can also impact the game. Talk about a super cheap card right now, a super cheap Bowman Chrome Auto. You can find Josh Lowe's Bowman Chrome Autos ungraded for $15 to $20, which is a ridiculous steal. This is a 2020 guy, potentially, if he hits enough, and I think he will, playing center for the Rays. Doesn't seem to be blocked too much by any long-term pieces, and there's just a really tantalizing skill set. Josh Lowe's Bowman Chrome Auto out of 99 just sold for $60 the other day. 
I mean, that's a no-brainer purchase. I acknowledge the the volatility or the risk here uh, with a player of his profile and some of the swing and miss that he has in his game. But at 24 years old, with success in AAA, flashes of success in the big leagues, exciting tools. I know it's the Rays, but man, I'm buying those cards on eBay. That's that's definitely a card I will be looking to scoop up uh, over the next week or so. And I already own a few of them already as well for transparency purposes. Uh, but also, you know, I, I was talking about Taj Bradley uh, of the Rays, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball as an option to potentially get the bump if he showed out well in AAA. And I think that was the plan for the Rays, not the, to uh, like for sure call him up, but to see what he does in AAA. And if he can continue his momentum and continue to shove, then, you know, maybe they'll give him a look similar to the way Shane Boz got a look last year. I don't know if that's going to happen this year with Taj Bradley. Not a major indictment on him. He's extremely young. He's 21 years old and already pitching in AAA, but we've kind of just seen Bradley struggle with the secondary stuff and struggle to get the same amount of swing and miss against more advanced competition. It was expected because Bradley really dominates with the heater. He had a really good bounce back outing on Saturday where he went six innings of one run ball against a really good triple A lineup uh, with the Brewers in Nashville. Uh, and that came after he was roughed up by them the start before. So a lot of good signs. And if Bradley strings together some good starts, it's possible. But we're seeing him nibble a bit more in triple A. And I think that's always a sign of a guy that doesn't totally trust the stuff against better competition. The way rates aren't quite where you'd want them to be. Fastball's still playing really well, but the secondaries kind of need to tick up a little bit uh, in quality. I think for me to be really confident that he can make a, a big league impact, maybe the Rays want to use him as a bullpen arm, you know, multi-inning bullpen arm. If he's going higher effort with the fastball, he probably tr- touches triple digits and can dominate with the heater and one off speed if they really, really needed a bullpen arm. But I think they've got other guys that they could use there. And it's probably more likely that we see Taj Bradley next year rather than this year. A couple other names. I obviously can't get to every single team, but when we do get those September call-ups, I will highlight every single team. I want to see the White Sox give Lenin Sosa some consistent play here. He's just been tossed around too much. Uh, He was fantastic out of the gate, played out of his mind. One of the other really exciting kind of breakout prospects this year, then, you know, gets forced up to the big leagues in a pinch, then gets sent back down to triple, struggled, has been getting things going again, and has hit well there. I want to see Sosa at the big league level consistently and just let him get those reps and that opportunity there. The guy can hit. He has got a good, well-rounded skill set. Maybe not as fast as we maybe initially thought. He doesn't move as well as many middle infielders, uh, and I'm interested to see kind of how the defense progresses there, and that's why I want to see him at the big league level, kind of working with big league uh, you know, infield coaches, getting those reps, getting that experience. The White Sox are pretty much cooked at this point. They're probably a week or two away from fully being cooked. And when that happens, I would not mind seeing Lenin Sosa get some opportunity uh, in the infield. The bat really does play. The bat's going to carry for him. And and I want to see him get those chances because he could be an option for them next season if he shows well over the next month. Even if he doesn't, it's a really nice learning opportunity. Start him in AAA next year with an opportunity to break camp if he really looks good. If he doesn't, you send him to AAA and he has that big league experience and can can kind of build off of that uh, in his start to next year in triple and try to work his way back up to the big leagues with the White Sox. That's definitely somebody I'd like to see up. The Astros have a litany of guys that I think could probably help them. Um, and there's probably some bats, but since they went out and got some bats at the deadline 
And you could never have too much pitching, especially if there's an injury here or there. And if rosters are expanding and you can carry another arm and maybe give Justin Verlander a day off who just left to start early with a calf issue. How about Hunter Brown? Hunter Brown has been just fantastic this season. And it's been amazing because Hunter Brown is somebody that is just not really had as much hype going into this year. A lot of other evaluators I talked to you know, were not the most excited about him, uh, which was interesting because he's had some solid numbers, some inconsistency overall. But I think we've really seen Hunter Brown take his stuff and his command to the next level this year. And he looks like he can help the Astros in one way or another. If you need a spot start, he can do that. He has been making plenty of starts in AAA, but they've also been using him as a bullpen arm in what I would presume to be an opportunity to, one, preserve his innings, but also to, to see what he does you know, in that kind of role and see how he really operates out of the bullpen. It's different for some guys, but if he could be that swing man for them down the stretch here and he seems comfortable, he just went three and a thirds out of the bullpen uh, in his last outing over the weekend, and did not give up a hit and struck out four. If that's something he's comfortable doing, it seems like that's where the Astros could use him this year. And then beyond this year, I think the long term is that he's very obviously a starter. But in those shorter spurts, stuff will tick up a little bit. Less pressure on the command, uh, which is still taking a big leap after walking more than five batters per nine, is walking around 3.8 this year. Still could get better, but has been much improved this season. With the breaking ball that he possesses, uh, he actually has two breaking balls that are viable. The slider in in the low 90s, which is crazy. It's a sharp slider and a curveball as well. But if he goes with a 96 to 98 mile an hour fastball out of the pen and a low 90s slider, he can really dominate hitters uh, and be another postseason weapon for this Astros team. He's Rule 5 eligible already, and I believe you know he'll very obviously be added to the 40-man roster regardless, so might as well promote him and, and see what he can do and how he can just help with depth and also you know preserve some of the innings of the other guys down the stretch. I'm sure you don't want to just run Verlander into the ground if you want to skip him in the rotation. Maybe this is the time to do it as rosters expand. A few other names that I wanted to highlight Recently acquired Ken Waldachuk for the Oakland A's, somebody that you know on this podcast. We've been higher on him since, you know, going back to last year, and he has just continued to look really, really solid. And as he has settled in now in AAA with Oakland pitching in a really brutal environment in the West Coast AAA PCL over there, uh, I I think it's time to see what he can do in a much more pitcher-friendly environment where I think he'll be fantastic. And he will be somebody that will make these A's a lot more watchable. Over his last three starts, it's just been several gems. Really, the only way that he's been beat over the last three games, and when I mean beat, it's really just putting up anything uh, in the run column. It's been via the home run, and that's what happens out in the PCL. The fact that he's been able to limit the homers with the way he operates, which is a high spin, high fastball, and also a breaking ball that he's comfortable going to against hitters from either side of the plate. It's a testament to the fact that he has really found a way to keep the ball in the yard and limit hard contact. In his last three starts combined, he has pitched 15 and a thirds innings. He has struck out 18. He has walked just three, and he's only allowed four earned runs with two homers kind of being the main catalyst behind those earned runs. Definitely ready for a big league call-up is Ken Waldachuk, and I'm a big fan of his. I'm expecting him to be a a number three starter for a long time. Somebody else that we've talked about a little bit, and I think it's definitely time to see what he could do at the big league level, is Josh Young. And Young 
We thought it might be a lost season for him because of that shoulder surgery that he had prior to the year starting. And uh, he has come back healthy and also has come back just raking, picking up right where he left off last year. If anything, more power. Hitter-friendly league, so we're seeing the power tick up, but the contact rates have remained consistent or as good as ever. Since returning, he went to the complex first, played eight games there, hit three bombs. Then he goes to AAA, where in 15 games, he's hit six bombs and also is hitting 297, 357, 656, only striking out 18.6% of the time. This is somebody that has the bat to ball and also has above average power to plus power when he really gets into it to his pull side, but taps into every ounce of the pop because of his ability to hit and just good feel to lift and backspin baseball since he's made those adjustments has really got the ball in the air more consistently and with more authority. Young's the the third baseman of the future for this team uh, and is going to be a big building block for them next year as they really push to be competitive as soon as possible. We know that's been the MO for Chris Young, uh, the general manager. They just clean house of really just top to bottom development, scouting everything. And I think they're really focused on you shell out $500 million for your middle infield. Now you got Young, who's going to be, I think, a rookie of the year favorite or one of in the AL next year. Get him a taste this year. Let him get acclimated. And I expect him to break camp next year on opening day. So why not get those ABs under your belt this season and just get a little bit of that taste and get comfortable. I'm expecting him to get called up. I think the Rangers are, they've been aggressive. They want to see their guys. We've seen them promote plenty of their dudes already, and there's no reason for them to not promote Josh Young, who needs to be on the 40 man as well um, in December. Interestingly, his cards are a little bit more expensive. I still think it's a good purchase on eBay. uh, If you want, if you really, really, really believe in Josh Young, which I believe in him, uh, but $120 $120 for his Bowman Cromato, more than Tristan Casas. Interesting, because yes, he does play third, and people don't love first baseman as collectors unless they really mash, but both of these guys are bat-first prospects. Both of them, I think, are going to really hit. I mean, Casas has more overall upside because of the raw power and still the impressive field to hit, but Josh Young's going to be really good. You're talking about an above-average to, to borderline plus hit tool, plus raw power, and just a, a knack for hitting. Since his Texas Tech days, I watched him back at Texas Tech. Always has had the knack for hitting. You always felt like he was going to barrel a baseball every time he stepped into the box there. And it's just continued. After a rocky first professional season has seemed to just continue into the upper levels of the minor leagues. Before we wrap up, I just put out a piece on Jason Dominguez, and I'm really excited about it. Would love for you all to to read it at JustBaseball.com. It's about the progress that Dominguez has made in year two, and also about how the unrealistic expectations placed on him were ridiculous and unfair to him, uh, and really set the bar for uh, something that was never going to be attainable. Mickey Mantle, Mike Trout, as the ESPN article uh, had kind of detailed from anonymous GMs about what they saw with Jason Dominguez, a more advanced Mike Trout. I mean, that's just ridiculous about a 17-year-old, and I think it just kind of set him up for nothing but disappointment. First professional season was disappointing, and there was a lot of major red flags that I was very concerned about. Then I take a look at what he's done in high A this year, and there's a lot of massive improvements. Does this mean he's still he's going to become the Martian? 
the second coming of Mickey Mantle? He's not human? No, that that's not the case here. But what it does mean, what I am seeing, is a guy that has a great chance to be an all-star, a switch-hitting center fielder who could be a multi-time all-star for the New York Yankees. That's freaking awesome. And for whatever reason, many people were convinced that that would somehow be a disappointment. And I detail kind of all of the adjustments he's made at the plate, in the field, and on the base paths that are very tangible, very exciting. And I think something that Yankees fans should be very excited about overall because it seems like Dominguez really has matured a ton in all facets of the game. And if he's not Mickey Mantle, that's okay. He is poised to jump from 83 on our top 100 list to probably the 60-something range off of the improvements that he has made. Uh, So check out that article over at JustBaseball.com. As always, thank you for listening. If you could leave a rating, help us grow the show, I would really appreciate it. Uh, Very excited to get this top 100 list out to you in the next week. Look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.